0: You're listening to Counter Talks, Canada's podcast for the equipment and event rental industry. Counter Talks is a presentation of Canadian Rental Service Magazine. Now here's your host, Patrick Flannery. Hi and welcome to Counter Talks. I'm Pat Flannery. Today we spoke with Jim Colvin from Sirius Labs. Sirius Labs is an Edmonton-based virtual reality simulation designer. And they've been doing a lot of work recently uh, doing simulation programs for uh, especially lifts, uh, but all kinds of construction equipment. Um, Basically, the idea is that you put on the goggles that we've all seen. um, You're essentially inside uh, the computer program to all intents and purposes. And uh, there's a lot of applications of this, especially for training, uh, but also for planning your work and job site safety. Uh, Jim and I get into uh, the company's origins in the gaming world. They have several uh, people from uh, uh, gaming software designers who work for them. Uh, Apparently, a lot of the uh, things that you need to do to make a good game are the same things that you need to do to make a good virtual environment for lift training. So, we talk about some of those possibilities the great increases in safety, uh, some of the cost savings that uh, you can experience. Um, Really interesting discussion with Jim, and uh, now uh, please enjoy Counter Talks with Jim Colvin from Sirius Labs. Okay, we're here today with uh, Jim Colvin. He is the CEO of Sirius Labs, where they are doing some very exciting work in uh, VR technology uh, for training in the rental industry and the lift industry. How are you today, Jim?
1: I'm very well, thank you.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you with us. So why don't we start out, Jim, just by you giving us the, uh, the FYI on, uh, on yourself and, and, and what Sirius Labs uh, is all about.
1: Sure. Uh, well, my, I'm Jim Colvin. I've been the, uh, the president and CEO now of Sirius Labs for going on eight years. Uh, we discovered a small technology company called 3D Interactive in uh, 2012 here in Alberta that were are doing very interesting simulation using game-based technology. And they had already had a couple of interesting pilots with uh, of, uh, some large OEMs, uh, who were very impressed with their progressive way of using off-the-shelf technologies, rather than proprietary stacks, which often simulator companies do. Uh, they, most of these folks came from the gaming industry it was probably just a handful of them, maybe a few more. Um, um, me personally, I'm a, a recovering technology lawyer, uh, been a CEO of uh, several companies, um, my background is in technology, and uh, I have partners who were invest we were interested in investing in uh, technology that could do a couple things, both um, you know advanced technology that was adopting really 21st century uh, new tools as well as apply that to the learning edtech space and particularly is applied to heavy industry, which is uh, very prevalent here in northern Alberta
0: yeah, absolutely and, and you're based in Edmonton.
1: We're based in Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, we have, I think, we're sitting in at uh, over 70 people now, uh, including programmers, artists, designers, QA people, hardware manufacturers, designers, uh, customer success team, uh, marketing uh, folks, uh, uh, channel partner management teams, all kinds of stuff. So uh, you'll have to come and visit us when you get the
0: chance. Yeah, that yeah, that sounds that, that sounds like quite an operation. Uh, it, it, now, would I have played any of these games, Jim? that we're that we're talking uh, about.
1: unlikely <laughs> well now there uh, <they're>, uh <laughs> you might have played some most of the folks uh, well many of our folks have come from the gaming industry including uh bioware which was purchased oh, by electronic art a couple years ago yeah yeah so uh electronic Arts. Mm. absolutely yeah Man. Believe me, That's, <laughs> uh, and what's really interesting is that it really translates well into their, their visual effects and how they master uh physics and behaviors is so powerful in the games and it translates brilliantly well when you're trying to communicate, you know, training or behavioral uh, uh, aspects of training, you know, in an immersive environment like virtual reality.
0: I, I, I bet it's one of the, uh, it's one of the, um, you know, things you, you, you forget about playing the, playing the games, but when you, when you think about it, there's got to be a lot of tech there. Um, like, like, especially, I mean, it's funny, I'm, I'm thinking now of mass effect where you can, you can change your view around and you're in a 3d environment and it's looking, you know, at the backs of people now, instead of the fronts of people, you know, like it's, it's, as you change the perspective, you're getting a different look as if the room is really there. And, and that's gotta be uh, that's gotta be key technology for virtual reality.
1: Absolutely. In particular, if it applies to virtual reality for equipment, uh, t- equipment training, uh, mm-hmm. For heavy equipment, imagine a, a, an aerial work platform. Uh, you constantly have to be aware of your environment. You have to be constantly looking behind you, looking up, looking for power lines. And by virtue of being able to be uh, completely immersed with a 360-degree aspect on a headset, which means you're not looking at a giant um, television screen right. or trying to scroll something around on your laptop, so that you ultimately are looking behind you. That takes you out of the the immersion moment. We're trying to keep you in the movie, as it were, so that we can trigger that fight-flight mechanism in your brain that's very difficult to get to. But if you can get there, and our simulators get you there, can get to your uh, fight-flight mechanism, you'll you'll actually be able to absorb uh, and recall this type of training much more effectively.
0: Yeah. 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 The computer's got to know really where everything in the room is. So if you look up, down, off to the side, it's gotta, it's gotta have all that mapped and be ready to deliver it. So that's, that that that's, that's pretty, that's pretty good stuff. And I can, I can really see where the gaming translates. So listen, mm-hmm. let's, so let's talking a little bit more about, about virtual reality specifically. Um, I, I guess, give us uh, not everyone's going to be uh, uh, very familiar with it. You guys um or at least I've I've seen a few different acronyms out there, AR, VR, XR. What 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 do all the what, what do these different type of Rs, <laughs> I guess, mean? <laughs> and and, and, right. and what are the differences between those things?
1: Right. A very common question. So um, I'll start with VR. Virtual reality is is fully immersive. It's an entire digital world. It means that everything in your line of view is created digitally. Um, and it's terrific for creating new worlds to immerse you in, uh, where we can control everything that you see and touch and manipulate uh, and how it responds and the physics to how it responds. Um, that's virtual reality. Uh, it's In a sense, it's been around a while because people have tried to create it using caves, giant caves with big you know, parabolic screens. Uh, r- lots of rides at amusement parks and stuff will adopt that kind of sensory deprivation where you can't, you know, your, your field of view is completely uh, captured by somebody else's uh, representations, like something that somebody else is projecting there, yep. um, which is great. And so it's not a new concept, but the real advancement came when they were able to, when the technology, like basically the computing of horsepower and how quickly you could project and frame speed could be put inside of a head-mounted display. And that's, in the last five years, that's really where the advancement lies. So that's the definition of virtual reality. AV, or augmented reality, is really a combination of, uh, I'm sorry, is um, the real world overlaid with digital um, aspects. So for instance, projecting a machine in the middle of an empty room, uh, for doing a, a walk around. Um, you know, that's, very, that's a very good example of um, of uh, uh, AR. Um, Just-in-time instruction, for instance, where you can plug in and you're going to have a task to do. So maybe it's just, just use changing a tire, for example. It will know what you're looking at and it'll walk you through it and give you screen images in your line of sight to be able to instruct you along the way of changing that tire of that car. In you know, in in the appropriate manner, Uh, which is very helpful uh, for uh, uh, just-in-time instruction, where you don't have to memorize that or look it up in a book. You can it'll actually just instruct you as you go. Very common in games as well, where you can you know go out and get those uh, (laughs) you know tokens and stuff in the sky. I won't won't mention any brand names, but uh, you know the you know the ones. Very popular games my kids play. Uh, So. That's augmented reality. It's a combination that is effectively, by definition, augmenting the real world with information or images that, uh, that uh, help you in some way or, or other or entertain you or whatever your objective is. Yeah. XR is actually uh, what we call it. It's an acronym stands for extended or a abbreviation stands for extended reality. And it's often a combination of both where we can take the uh, physical world and project and, and the and the virtual world and combine them. And a good example of that, which is very popular, is going to be very very popular in the uh, in the video game world, is that we can, uh, can can take a room that already has physical objects in it and then project um, uh, project what we want you to see into that room. So, for instance, if you're just in a giant empty warehouse with, say pillars all over the place we could turn those pillars into trees and any tables into logs and you could have a giant medieval war in there where you could see all the other characters and there'd be real human beings but their avatars would be projected into their character uh and but it also knows where everything else is in the room so you're not walking into walls because everything is then complete uh so now you can move freely that that pillar becomes a tree, you know, the desk becomes a log that you hide behind and you know you're visually, you know, pulling on a bow and arrow or something. Very exciting for the game industry and we're actually um uh adopting it in some of our uh, upcoming uh uh training solutions too so that you can have more mobility in uh in a in a real space. Yeah, they have, still they be have, in uh, in, what, in a virtual world.
0: They have a they have a company that does that um here in london it's relatively new um they you you go into a uh you know a warehouse type space there's objects and 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 platforms and catwalks and 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 pillars like you say and and boxes and things all over the place and then you put on the headset and 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 everything gets you know the lights go out and everything turns on and and yeah you're they map they map a a video game, basically. I but there was something a zombie apocalypse uh, is the one I saw um, on to it, and you know, and they they give you you know like a gun to carry, and it's it looks different, you know. It's it's amazing.
1: Yeah, can you imagine a world where you know you can incorporate both uh, you know the, effectively that's what the the uh, movie and book and movie Ready Player One kind of imagines a world where you're in a giant sphere and some things are real some things are not uh so yeah exciting times and and uh, again we're always looking to see how you know these creative people in the gaming industry in particular we can adapt those new edge leading edge technologies to the the things that we um the the outcomes that we want to achieve which is typically learning uh associated with uh, some form some sort of learning event yeah Uh, so yeah exciting times
0: it seems like it seems like that one, the XR, well, I don't know, you you tell me how, how applicable is that on the industrial training side because I'm thinking AR is good enough. I mean if you can put a, a label on something or you know like, like that, you prob- maybe you've gone far enough that way. I mean, it's, I understand the application of a full VR environment, but but if you're trying mm. to have interaction with real things, the AR, it seems to me, would be good enough. Would you need a full XR overlay, or is there more? Is there more the confusion? It be really
1: documented? depends on what you're trying to achieve. If you're literally just trying to give just in time instruction, or maybe a tool of something where things are labeled, and then when you look at them with your headset on or your eyeglasses on, it gives you the information of where it is. And some of the applications I've seen for that is like walking to an airport and it knows but your, your your headset or your glasses know and your earbud is listening to instructions from your phone telling you how to get showing you how to get to your gate with maybe you know green arrows pointing to that path or if you have to go to the washroom you say that and it'll lead you to the closest one or uh that's that's how that application um can be very effective when you're really trying to immerse someone in an experience like maybe some giant petrochemical plant where there's a very you know, critical lockout, tagout procedure that this person has to follow, but in an industrial environment where you want them to hear that, you know, and the noise and the, you know, the dust, you know, the, all of the things that you see in that environment, people milling around, machines moving. Uh, if you want to do that um, and really create a real environment for that person to have to do it under those types of conditions, um, XR is actually a real powerful one. We're doing that in VR now, um, but uh, it in but actually interacting with physical world in a virtual reality experience is uh, we're, we're really interested to see where that potentially can take us. One of the challenges we're having right now is interacting with the virtual world is is the haptic gloves and things so you can actually heal things because obviously in a virtual world, matter doesn't exist. So you have to recreate um, either by haptic feedback like on, a, a, on actuators for removing Platform. So if you, you know, you're in a piece of equipment, we can shake it and move it, and it will you will absolutely be convinced that you're at height, or you're moving, you you know, the equipment's moving to the left to the right. But when you're walking around and you need to pick something up or test something, um, if you can do that in an experience where it incorporates the uh, uh, the physical world as well as the virtual world that we want to keep you in, uh, that's got some real interesting applications. That uh, we're it's a little bit out there, and of course. People are just now starting to understand what VR is, and then therefore being able to embrace the practical applications beyond, you know, entertainment and, and gaming. Uh, so, you know, we're always looking way over the horizon, but uh, you know, we're we're all quite often waiting for the world to catch up with us where we are right now.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, and that was one of the that was one of the things that um, struck me. I I got an article from the uh, International Powered Access Federation (IPAF). Uh, there a little while ago that I ran, um, talking about uh, uh, virtual reality training, and they seemed they they seemed pretty keen on XR as something that was pretty close to ready to go. Um, is that um, what the thinking? Uh, I guess specifically about the um, the equipment training, like like and maybe even maybe even stay on lifts because that seemed to be that seems to be where it's mm-hmm. sort of gone the farthest. Um, what, what, what are the advantages of, of, of this sort of technology for lift training?
1: Right. So, um, certainly, and yeah, and I think IPath is a, a very good example of, you know, they're representing a giant industry body that's always done something a certain way. And, uh, over the last several years, uh, you know, they, have now they, after the last few years, they've really started to say, see that. This is such a better approach to training and assessment than the real world. And I'll give you um, just a sort of series of uh, illustrations. So first off, because we can replicate the full motion and the entire environment from a 360 degree sphere around the operator using real world controls, we can replicate the sensation of lifting, moving the machine, going up in the air, slewing from side to side, making contact with other objects, going into ditches, that drops the person into the realism. So now they believe that they sincerely are on that equipment. That's step one, is the immersion, is the tricking that mind into sincerely embracing you know, the, the experience that you're in. The second one is a kind of uh, learning scenarios that we can design that the you know the real world just never could. It would be too expensive, complex, and mostly dangerous to be able to replicate that kind of train. I mean, a good example is landing a seven you know landing an airplane in the uh, Hudson River. <laughs> they don't practice that, but yeah. if you if, if you work in a simulated environment enough times, you know you can actually maybe do it in a calm you know experience because that fight flight mechanism has already experienced it once and you can remain calm which is really what this is all about is retaining best practices in in uh, adverse conditions or real world conditions in fact so the second one is named on what we can do with you and how impactful that is once you're immersed in that uh, environment the third is um what we can objectively measure because and it's so difficult to know with a clipboard on the ground to assess, you know, where an operator in a basket, you know, 80 feet above the ground is looking, uh, you know, how he's feeling, uh, you know, how anything about his behaviors, you know, is he you can't really tell if he's, you know, slamming the cylinders or he's, you know, how how is he on the controls? You can kind of maybe, but we measure everything that person does, everywhere they're looking, how long they look there, where they're looking, when uh, when they 're moving, are they looking in the right place? Are they constantly checking things? Did they look at those power lines? We know if you have because the, the pupil tracking will know exactly where you 're looking at any given time. That objectivity of being able to measure all those components of an operator 's behavior and uh, and measure them against you know what should be competent behavior is something that 's never been able to be done before in an objective manner because you 're always relying on a third party evaluator uh, just a guy or you know, a person that's you know maybe having a good day maybe he isn't maybe he was thinking of something else maybe he's in a hurry maybe these guys got again on site and you know holding them up is you know not in his company's best interest all of those things um, you know are what impact the thinking uh, of and the subjectivity of a human assessor whereas we it's kind of like getting an MRI you know, you can have 50 doctors look at somebody and, you know, they'll probably have more than one opinion of what might be wrong with them. But with an MRI, it sees it all. And yeah. it's up to you to decide what you want to do about the information you've been presented with. And that's really the power of how we've applied virtual reality to aerial equipment training and uh, competency yeah. training assessment mm-hmm. and remediation.
0: Yeah. That, that, that last point about being able to tell where they're looking is, is that, that that's interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that, 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 that really makes a lot of sense. And you can tell every control uh, input that they put in and uh, and, and give them feedback on whether they're, you know, overdoing things or uh, or, or, or making too many moves in the wrong direction. You can, you can tell if they hit the right button or the wrong button. Yeah. That's that's interesting stuff. Um, <clears throat> Cause you know, like you say, when a guy, when a guy's uh, you know, 30 feet up in a basket, you know, from the ground, the assessor really can't tell that much what he's doing. Precisely.
1: And so we measure like hundreds of data points, and then we amalgamate them into three distinct um, behavioral uh, categories, uh, which we've uh, defined as ESP, uh, with S standing for safety being always dead center, E standing for efficiency. So we can track how efficiently you get the machine position um like the, ba- the, the the chassis position and the basket into its position where you need to do the work that's really important because you know it's, so long as you're doing that in a safe in a safe manner the more efficiently you can make those maneuvers means um how a, a much more productivity you, you gain uh because quite often people are you know waiting around for whatever it is you're doing at height in order for the next thing to happen so the, and, and plus you have to move from spot to spot uh, in order to be, and how quickly and efficiently you do that is what we call efficiency. And we measure all of those behaviors. Uh, you know what I mean? It's kind of like parallel parking. Yeah. If you, do you know to just go to the right distance behind, ahead of the car in front and how you angle in and, uh, and adjust at the end. You know, you can, you might, the end result might be the same with a novice operator and an experienced parker but it really saves time if you actually know how to do it well. And that's where the ability of creating an efficient operator stands, uh, lives. For safety, it's always about where you're looking. Are you aware of your environment? Uh, are you making sure that you're not putting the machine in precarious situations uh, where, you know, dangerous and bad things can happen? So we have a whole series of things that we measure that look at how safely are you conducting your operation. And then the last category, the P, uh, we label proficiency. This is how hard you are on the equipment and the environment around you. Mm. So uh, certainly, in the, from a rental context, uh, you know we know that from, from most, I expect all rental companies, the uh, you know the largest expense is the repair and maintenance on the rental equipment coming back. Yeah. Uh, quite often, experienced operators are really hard on the equipment. They do slam the cylinders. They don't feather well. You know, they're trying to, you know, they're jamming things because they know what they're doing. It's just like the experienced car driver. You know, they, you know, they think they know it all and therefore yeah. um, we measure those things too. We measure how hard you have, how, how you feather, because if we can reduce one, um, the cost of hitting things in your environment and two, the damage to the machine itself uh, and how it's pre- returned to the rental company or if it's owned. You know the cost of the repair and maintenance on that machine. If we can reduce the cost of those things, um, that's a very um, impactful to the bottom line. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, rate a lot. You know, it it really is as far as what we've learned from our our industry partners and associations is that that's a big expense. So the more we can teach guys to do that and measure and ingrain in them the right behaviors of how to feather, how to how to manipulate the machine. In a very competent way, uh, so that there, it is easier on the machine and it extends the life of the machine with less downtime. Um, that's a real value to the rental industry for sure.
0: Huh. Yeah, good stuff. Um, <clears throat> so what's the what's the experience like for the for the user when they're in one of these things? Is it is it like you're is it like you're in a cartoon or is it much more realistically mapped now? I mean, you've got you've got big goggles on, right? And then and then I think there's mm-hmm. controls that are more or less like the ones you would have on the, um, on the machine itself. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely. Yes. We replicate the entire physical experience of standing in the basket, having your foot on the, um, on the, you know, on the pedal, uh the kill switch, you know, all the, the, the controls are replicate, um, full replication of, uh, you know, 30, standard form of uh, controls for the boom and scissor and all of our cranes and other heavy uh, equipment. Um, we do that because we want you to be as familiar in that world as you are in our world. Um, but what it's like inside, it's a very interesting question. Just because uh, uh, when people look at images from our scenarios just on paper or just look at a snap, you know, like a screenshot of it, yeah. they say, well, that, that's cool, but it doesn't look exactly like the real world. And we don't want it to because uh, the real world is just kind of distracting. We're trying to get you to do very specific things in a very specific environment. The good news is, and yes, we could constantly, ours, our environments are very realistic, but they're not lifelike, which is, it's a, there's a distinction because we want you to be focusing on the things that we want you to focus on. Um, and And rather than... You know, do those trees in the background look real? You know, do those, is that building an exact replica of a building? Um, because what we're trying to do is teach you how to, um, you know, operate a piece of machine efficiently and safely and not, you know, for a, in a specific uh, job site, as it were. So um, while that'll always improve, and, and a part of it is technology. I mean, if you really want to clog up your frame speed, you know, create the pixelation so uh, dense that it takes a long to load the image, you'll start to get lag and, and the machine can't, re- you know, your headset doesn't respond when you don't look quickly, look left or right, it will lag. And what's very dangerous about that is that uh, can trigger something called simulation adaption syndrome, which is different than like vertigo or car sickness for that matter. And what it is, is when you're doing, and then this is why our machines are, uh, are really world leading is because no other um, aerial work platform simulator in the world actually has full motion actuators um, that make you feel like your your body feel what like your vision is seeing, And making sure that those two things are very closely connected, avoids that SAS syndrome. Because uh, it is, it's it can really damage well, damage of it. It's it's really uncomfortable. it Can last yeah. for hours and hours and hours. So um, back to your you know your original question is how with the fidelity of the immersive experience, we don't sacrifice anything. We um, we don't have to sacrifice realism for you know like the realism of the experience for uh, the realism of the real world in order to be able to obtain the learning objectives that uh, what we really focus on. So, and and ironically enough, we've never had anyone ever come say to us like, boy, wouldn't that be great if this was just like driving a machine outside, you know, right in that particular job site. And uh, maybe, but like, you know, this it's, that's, that can be a distraction, which is why for those two reasons, we don't want you to be distracted and we don't want to slow down um, the frame speed of the experience. Because it can have, you know, physical, uh, right? Physical causes physical effects.
0: Yeah, that makes that makes sense. It's it's more important to uh, <clears throat> to get the movement right and the and the the dimensions and relationships of everything right. I, I, I could see that. Um, do you know, you, uh, I'll
1: just i just add this though, but because it, it, it's, it's kind of funny because all our guys come from the gaming industry. So many come from the gaming industry. especially yeah. the artists. They yeah. want it to be. Yeah. Oh, like well, yeah. Sort of I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we have to pull those guys off it a little bit. Like, hey, guys, really, do we really need this? Yeah. So we're uh, we, we're constantly toggling the each side of that equation not because we not because we don't know how to. It's just about what's the uh, you know what's the goal here, boys?
0: It's instinctive. <laughs> it's instinctive. Yeah, they can't help it. It really is. Yeah, <laughs> really can't beat the gamer out of those guys. Wouldn't it be cool if that was glowing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah totally
1: stuff like that all the time you know which one they get to that guy should have a sword he's on a construction site what's he gonna do with this well
0: (laughs) would it it really hurt if i just put some writing on that block
1: (laughs) exactly we did all that kind of stuff a lot
0: (laughs) i can imagine um do you ever have to do you ever make um controls that are specific to uh different manufacturers like, do you have to? Do you have to um, have a bunch of different controls?
1: Uh, great question, we get asked that a lot, and we've actually really quite explored that. Um, so, when we were originally doing uh, um, on our very first uh, control panel way back in the day, we actually chose uh, a Genie Z forty five. just the controls of that—they're quite generic. Yeah. I mean, it's not very specific, but if, I think most operators that have operated a lot of different aerial equipment that would probably go, oh, that's a cheap. And then, we, because we were working so closely with one of our uh, industry partners, um, at the time we were, um, we are scissor lift. They helped us develop our scissor lift uh, module, our hardware for our scissor lift element of the AW or the MOOC. Um, and that was actually uh, all based on a Skyjack, a scissor lift set of controls. Yep. Um, we've, we've kind of really had sort of a, a dichotomy on this one. And the reason is that we're trying to teach you to drive a car, not a Chevrolet okay. saying that, you know, a lot of the OEMs do, you know, say, Hey, could you do that for our equipment um, now? So we've explored the notion of, um, you know, maybe being, uh, maybe an OEM saying, Hey, listen, we'll, you know, we'll we'll provide the control panels and then we'll, you know, it's not that difficult for us to, change maybe some very specific physics around inside the game in the, in the game itself. So that, you know, the, obviously the, the chassis will change color, it will change shape, you know, become, you know, OEM A to OEM B uh, depending on what you choose, kind of like choosing a race car in a racing game, you know, you can choose the car you want and maybe it has a few other different attributes that the other cars don't. Um, but, you know, unless it has something very, you know, oddly specific, like a, of, you know, a boom that comes out of the side of the boom that we would then have to have a whole separate set of controls for. It is something that we're examining. Um, Now, now saying that, JLG has developed their own um, uh, boom lift simulator. So, you know, some of the OEMs, or clearly one of them, has, you know, ventured into this arena on their own. Um, So, you know, and maybe others will follow. But it is definitely something that we're considering as an offering where if uh, if an OEM wanted to joint venture with us to develop, you know, to provide the control panel specific to them, and they could be quite easily swapped out on the simulator itself, so it's like, hey, we've got you know OEM A training on Tuesdays and OEM B training on Wednesdays because you know the equipment on the two sites are different and we want to be as specific as we can. That that could become a real possibility. Well, we're going to be led by industry and their desire a little bit on that. I don't think it'll be. I guess the short answer is. I don't think it'll be something that we would just simply go out and and do. We would rather build you know add to the catalog of equipment rather than you know focus exclusively on just trying to replicate every piece of equipment your know, oems in that category of equipment
0: yeah it just it just made me wonder because the um the the, the oEMs do uh uh take a lot of pride and and sometimes even include in their marketing materials um that uh things like the uh the the feedback sensitivity on their controls and you know they 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 put a lot of work into setting these things up as as ergonomically as possible and 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 you know they they make a big fuss about their controls and and so it, it 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 would seem logical to me although again if you're providing a generic training service that's one thing right And then if you're providing training on a specific piece of equipment, that's, that's, that's something else. So yeah, I, I hear you, maybe it's not needed on a, on a generic piece of training equipment uh, as much as uh, if they were developing their own. So that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So again, like, you know, and they should be found, I mean, I know that industry and i led it is they did quite an industry study trying to create a universal control panel so that regardless of, you know, what equipment you were getting on, uh, at the job site, you were going to be, at least be reasonably familiar. You're going to be familiar with that because it's a universal, you know, it's kind of the steering wheel is here, the clutch is always here, you know, the brake is always here, the gas pedal is always here, you know. Uh, uh, that's That was really what they were going for, but I don't think they ever got there, which is, you know, it's kind of too bad um, for the very reason you described is everybody says their way of doing it is better uh, from our understanding of the results of that uh, effort. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. It's definitely something on our radar, but and we have been approached by a couple OEMs uh, already, but it hasn't gone much further than the conversation to date.
0: Okay, okay. Um, in, 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 I guess inside the technology a little bit, I've always wondered how, that, how the um, headset is able to tell where you're actually looking. How, how, how is that done?
1: Yeah, it's just a gyro positioning because it's not really—it's just where you are in relation to the sensors in it and the sensor on the machine itself. It's just—you know—it's basically just geometry. Uh, so you can move around as quick as you can, and it's kind of got a, like a gyroscope in it that, if you're looking on this specific—you know—mathematical—you know—point to uh, uh, physical point in space. You know, if you're—if the headset itself. If it like again it doesn't really care what you're all it cares about is if it's if it's pointed that way what is the image that I need to project at the uh, oh, person right. yeah. wearing the headset yeah. Yeah. yeah so which is kind of interesting because so many people wonder about that because it's hard to divorce yourself from the idea that you know how does it know what you're looking at but it has pupil sensors right inside of it as well so not only can you track where the headset is pointing you can track where the person is looking because we used to have in the last version of the headsets um they you could only tell where the headset was pointing but not where the pupils were looking and people would say oh yeah but i was looking out in the corner on my eye so you shouldn't have taken points away for that nah, well your head should have been pointing <laughs> that way too <laughs> but now we can tell if they're lying
0: <laughs> yeah so so you actually are tracking the pupils eh, and where they're pointing yeah yeah absolutely oh i didn't know that that's interesting Uh, okay. Let's get down. we got to watch the time here. Um, so I, I guess, I guess a big picture, where, where would you say, well, actually one thing I wanted to get to first was how many different kinds of equipment are we talking about here? Have it, what have you guys worked on as far as different kinds of equipment for VR training?
1: Sure. So we've developed already, I think we're, we have, Several still in development, but I think we'll be up to at least 12 models of cranes because most of them have very specific controllers uh, and the cab has its own interior. And, of course, crane training is very specific to the crane you're on and the model of crane, whether it's an overhead crane or a tower crane, et cetera. Uh, So uh, we partnered with uh, uh, a large U.S.-based crane training company and developed a whole suite, a whole category uh, or catalog of these types of cranes. Uh, so I would say we're probably about, I think we're up almost, we should be up to almost a dozen by the time we're done here, uh, and maybe even a few more. We've also, so we, then we've of course developed our uh, boom lift and scissor lift, which sits on the same chassis. And then we've also now just uh, finished the development, it's just coming into, or it's just in beta right now, is our forklift simulator, which has, uh, both uh, a counterbalance forklift, sort of a warehouse type forklift, as well as a rough terrain forklift or telehandler forklift. You know, most, very common on construction sites with big ones with the big blades that go over the rough thing. Yeah. And uh, we have what's called uh, conversion kits for that, so they can work right off the same chassis. So the full motion base, you can uh, just unclip the one set of controls and foot pedals uh, for the other. Uh, the other um, forklift, depending on what kind of training you're doing that day. And we're actually looking to uh, create a, that, that, use that universal base for all seated simulator, virtual reality simulators going forward so that you can simply just buy the conversion kits if you so choose to, rather than the entire um, uh, motion base uh, every time you want to up, you know, just add another piece of equipment to your uh, VR simulator category.
0: Okay. Okay. So, philosophically, where are we when we think about VR training versus real world training? What 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 is what is VR doing that you can't do in the real world? What are you going to get out of the real world that you still can't get out of VR, and and maybe never would?
1: Well, I'll start with the former. You know, and we sincerely believe, and this is a little um, this has been traditionally a little bit uh, controversial especially when you're talking to, you know, trainers who's trainers that say, oh, you you know, you you can't learn on anything but the real machine. Well, we really go back to, you know, what simulators have done in aerospace and the military for decades. Um, VR is just a much better application of that because instead of a screen in front of you or a series of screens tricking you into thinking you're in an experience, this is just, incredibly more immersive. It's lightweight, you move your head around and you are in the space. But what it's again like the you know, just training a pilot. What we can do with you uh, to create conditions to put you in, um, you know, we can put you in very dangerous and complex situations, but never put you in harm's way. That's something that the real world can never do. It's just it wouldn't be practical to do it. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to, you know, what's the difference between what we do And, um, you know, versus training in the real world, Um, you know, VR is, if it's not, it it has to be embraced because, again, it's uh, then again, it's not just VR, it's simulation itself. It's only because the cost of that simulation has come down so dramatically uh, that, you know, companies like mine can apply those new technologies to, you know, to a a heavy, you know, heavy industry uh, instead of just the military and, uh, and, and aerospace to answer the second part of your question regarding you know is vr does have its limitations you know i think i spoke to one of them before is that there's nothing physical in the virtual world now again that xr is going to help with that but at the end of the day there's certain things that vr is just not good at it's you know tactility until the gloves and stuff get better on you know is not as good of an experience as the real world um secondly theoretical training uh, you, you still need to know the rules of the road. You need to know what a stop sign stands for. You need to know what a – and there's almost no point in teaching that in VR. Uh, you, you know, is there a more engaging way of teaching it? Yes, we build uh, amazing blended uh, online courseware, uh, and it's very engaging. It's got games built into it. It can teach you, you know, complex physics principles, but in an interesting and exciting way through a game. I mean, think uh, Angry Birds to teach you about velocity, trajectory, yeah. gravity. Um, so virtual reality, other than just, you know, enhancing the experience, is not is kind of overkill for a lot of forms of training. The way we, or elements of training, particularly theoretical, we believe, sincerely believe that virtual reality um, is a tool for the training industry to help. That trainer properly assess, it would be like saying that an MRI machine is going to replace a doctor's and doctor's diagnosis. It's not. It's just going to assist them. It's going to make it better. It shows you everything in an objective way that, you know, tapping on their knee with a hammer or, you know, holding a stethoscope may not always reveal. Uh, this is a tool for industry to apply a solution to embrace rather than this is going to replace old school ways. I mean, it is going to replace old school ways of doing things because we've always, the, the world has always adopted to better ways of doing things. Once they're not afraid of it anymore, it works every time it becomes part of our, you know, our toolkit. So I uh, hope that that answers that. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, that's, that's, that's absolutely the right idea. Um, the, um, Actually, this, this next one is probably more a question for iPath. Are, 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 do, you, do you know what certifications you can get just just going through pure VR now? Or it, maybe that's outside of what you guys are dealing oh,
1: with. Oh, I I can absolutely. Our uh, uh, VR simulator now, or very soon, will be, our expectation is, will be um, able to be used to, well, right now, for certainly for iPath 3A, 3B, it can be used as a training tool to apply <laughs> to um, you know, To help people get prepared for the practical, up, for the practical um, assessment on a real machine. Okay. But right now, today, under today's um, rules, uh, you still have to actually get on a real machine in order to be issued your card. Right. Saying that, the, for the recertification of that card, well, is now you can do that on a simulator. So it's kind of like renewing your driver's license, but not having to go and drive a car again you can just go and take a test on the simulator and it'll prove and what we're hoping to do and i think IPAP is on the right path of this and they're very progressive over there uh is to actually start to increase the number of recertifications or kind of reassess you more often because particularly with aerial equipment it's something that they you someone might not get on once in a while you might be a, a you know sheet metal or you might be a, an electrician but you don't work at height for a year Yep. You've still got an iPath card, you know, says you can get on a machine, but your PAL card doesn't say that you haven't actually been on a machine for a year, and it doesn't have any ability to you know, just, it doesn't tell you what whether that person is confident on the day they got the, they're on the job site, it just tells you that on the day that they got their test taken, they passed it. So iPath is very much looking at the idea of what we use can already do is what is just kind of a reassessment or an annual recertification, make it very easy and very available, very inexpensive, but it's just kind of like, hey, you know what? Not only do you have the card, but you clearly have had some form of test that makes sure that your skills are still at a certain level. And then the third one is uh, the PAL Plus Advanced Operator Training. Uh, Are you very familiar with that?
0: Uh, I would, no, I'm not.
1: So... In the UK, um, the industry association of GCs uh, called Build UK encouraged IPAP to develop an advanced operator training course for when you're working around, you know, you're not repointing your chimney, <laughs> you're actually working around girders and complex uh, construction sites maybe in the city of London. Yep. And they felt that that needed a higher standard of uh, qualification. So uh, so uh, a course was developed called PAL, which is a power access license, yep. plus for advanced operator training. But here were the limitations. The problem was you needed about a half an acre of land, a couple instructors, a couple of machines, a whole bunch of scaffolding and chains and, and uh, all pylons and you name it. So it became very complex to set up. You couldn't really do anything particularly dangerous for all the reasons we know. And it was very expensive uh, because, it, because it occupied so much equipment, time, and um, space. We have now developed that very PAL Plus course with all of its advanced operator skills, um, training, and assessment right inside the virtual reality simulator. But because you already have to have the regular PAL card, think of it like a driver's license where you get your class five to drive a car. This is like driving you know, a, a truck or something more complex. Yeah, uh, that's more dangerous and all those things. You can now actually get trained exclusively on the simulator for the, uh, and then assessed on it for, the, for your PAL plus card. And that's, that's we're not quite there yet, but we're just running all the trials right now, and uh, we're hoping that this is something that will be available to the market at uh, some point in the very near future. So, uh, uh, you know, my as far as iPath. They've been very, uh, you know, started off slow. It's been a five, six, seven-year relationship with our company and them. But uh, certainly over the last few years, they've really embraced this, recognized that this is the future, and they have a duty to their membership to embrace the new technologies that's going to improve the safety and competency of people in our industry. And, uh, And they've been very progressive working with us
0: that that just sounds like yeah the 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 perfect sort of application for vr you can replace this huge obstacle course that you would otherwise have to build with with vr and then and then because it's vr you can actually test people and retest people more frequently because they don't have to go somewhere to, to do this right or or at least somewhere closer yeah
1: Yeah, we can bring it right to the job site. I mean, this is something that um, our team in the UK are working on right now is they've been traveling around with a small van and a simulator in the back and taking it right to the job site where a guy can take an hour off, you know, and and climb in and try it out and say, wow, this is amazing. (laughs) So you can imagine that, you know, you can increase the level of competency and skill level in such a convenient and cost effective and time efficient way, Um, you know, is pretty hard to argue with that
0: yeah so that well that segues right into the next bit um uh the uh like if 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 somebody wanted it if somebody wanted to do this in Canada I mean you guys are mm-hmm. there in Edmonton um what wh- what are your what are your options in Canada right now for for accessing this kind of training well
1: if um you know we work with typically with partners like United Rentals is our uh a big partner of ours in North America um, you know, they've got branches in every 10 provinces. Um, but yet we work directly, also directly with customers, whether training centers, construction sites, et cetera, um, construction companies, you know, and so it's available. It's just a matter of reaching out and understanding what your need is, what is the goal you're trying to accomplish, and we will apply the right solution to it. That's really what we're about, is finding the right solution to the problem.
0: What does United do? Can you, can you go like, do they have, they have some of the, they have some of these units uh, around? Oh,
1: they have lots. They oh. do. Uh, in fact, um, um, they, they have, well, I think there's lots, I won't get into specific numbers, but yes, they have lots. And they have been distributed around North America. Um, you know, there's still very new stuff. Last year, 2019 was really pilot where we, together, we reached out and we talked to industry, understood what they felt. You know, or were they ready to adopt this kind of technology? Was it replacing something? Was it saving the money? You know, was it making the money? (laughs) You know, you have to go through all that analysis beyond just this is cool or, you know, this is, but it's an end, you know, why do I need to spend more money? Nobody's making me. What we're really working on now is with United Rentals is what is the problem we're trying to solve? For instance, you know, maybe at a large construction site where they're doing onboarding, you know, 5,000 people over several months you know, and then they all need a bunch of them might have to work at height. How do you assess that going in? So we created a module together called verification of competency. It's 25 minutes for each machine. And it basically is your MRI on whether or not you should be uh, operating that machine, but it also um, sends you on a path for remediation. That says you need to work on these aspects of your behaviors and then get retested. Something that can be done right there at the, at the, uh, at the uh, up, uh, onboarding center rather than firing the guy or sending him home, or sending him to some distant training center to you know, get practicing or or, or go on to an actual machine and try to up his skills. Yeah. So United Rentals has been very progressive partner with that as well. And as well, in addition to just construction sites where You know, airlines working around closely to the skin of an airplane um, on aerial equipment. That's, you know, that's something that uh, the airlines are really embracing. We've created a specific module just to work around the curved surfaces of airplane fuselages. Because that's very dangerous if you touch one of those during maintenance. Um, And that's been very well embraced. And United Rentals has been definitely helping us uh, market back to the major airlines in North America.
0: Yeah, I I see that as a... I see it as a potential business opportunity for rental stores. Uh, uh, you know who we're talking to right now, because um, you know it. 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 Uh, you could. You could get if you had a VR set in there, uh, and you. Uh, you know, you had somebody competent to assess uh, the 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 data that's gathered there. Um, you could offer that as a service in your store, really, where people can come in. They could get say get their PAL card uh, reopt. Um, or, or they could get basic training on the machines or you could, and, and then you can also use it like United is for competency checks, um, you know, to make sure you're not renting equipment to somebody who doesn't know what they're doing.
1: Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I mean, think about that savings alone just for someone that's actually not going to wreck it. They might even be able to operate it, but if you start to see their behaviors are, you know, really hard on the machine, yeah, it's, you know, and if you're, you know, your biggest expense is the cost of fixing that machine when it gets brought back. Yeah. That's a pretty appealing thing to be able to. And that's, a you know, that can be something that you throw in with the rental and say, hey, this will assess every one of your guys as part of the rental. You yeah. know, there's so many ways to mix and match this to solve the problem for the customer while maybe solving, you know, your own some of your own challenges as a rental company.
0: Well, yeah, and I mean, you got to, you know, your own guys, your own guys have to know how to use the equipment and get re up too, although that's, you know, relatively less, but it's, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's really interesting technology for the rental store. Well, listen, Jim, uh, we've, uh, we've been at it for an hour here and that's probably good enough. Uh, I, 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 (laughs) what a, what a, what a, what an interesting conversation though. And what a, what an interesting technology. Tell, tell the, tell the good people how they can, uh, how they can find uh, serious labs if they, if they want to get more information.
1: Oh, I'll be delighted. Well, first off, just come visit our website at www.seriouslabs.com. Serious is spelt in, I'm not kidding, not serious is in uh, (laughs) uh, XM radio. So, seriouslabs.com, and uh, anybody's always, anytime, I'm always available. So, reach out to Jim Colvin at 403-615-1060, and I love talking about what we do. So, always interested there hear from the folks that are also so inclined
0: well that's that's fantastic jim colvin sirius labs thanks so much for joining us today on counter talks
1: my pleasure delighted thanks for having me
0: thanks for joining us for counter talks you can find counter talks episodes online at canadianrentalservice.com or on the major podcasting services counter talks is a presentation of canadian rental service magazine